So are here this morning and we're continuing to worship, uh, shifting gears, we're, we're, we're getting into the Word now and I'll tell you what, um, you ever feel like it's been a week? It happens to me sometimes where it feels like it's been a week and this has been, uh, actually last week was one of those weeks, I was saying this morning that I'm actually really excited uh, to kick off a new week. Uh, and to start that with our worship and praise and, and learning together. Um, and, and the reason is, I think, because, well, one, it was just a weird week for me, for a lot of people. Two, though, because I think whenever we talk about spiritual warfare, things get wonky. And I'm not going to stand here and blame every problem that I've ever had in my life on the devil. But that dude sucks. Listen to me. We've got to dig in when it comes to this, and we've got to really start to understand what we're talking about. So we're going to walk through. I want to continue um, what we've been doing, and I just want to remind you where we left off last week. Last week, we, we left off with the command to put on all of the armor. That's what we're told to do, to put on the armor of God. Why? So that we can stand. And who are we standing against? Well, we're standing against the enemy of our souls. We're standing against Satan, who is, we discussed this last week, if you're not sure, go back and listen, who is very, very real. We're standing against demons, who are angels that have fallen, who, we talked about this last week, and I get that in our culture it feels weird to acknowledge, but listen, they're very, very real. Maybe not necessarily how you see it in TV, right? But, but Satan and demons, the devil and demons are very, very real. And Paul says, listen, you have to stand against them. Why? Because that's who you're fighting. You aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. You aren't wrestling against other people. Sometimes it will feel like you're wrestling against other people because other people are the ones that you're looking at that are causing grief. Right? It might feel like you're wrestling against all of these other things, but, but what Paul's telling us is, no, no, it's deeper than that. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You're wrestling against something that's, that's different than you thought. And so we have to acknowledge that. We have to understand that that battling spiritually is a thing that we have to deal with. There's good news, though. We win. When we battle well, we win. Right? This is the call. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, stand and put on this armor because you have got to fight an enemy that is different than you think he is. And he's strong and he's powerful, but he's defeated. Why is he defeated? Well, he's defeated because, listen, Paul says this in Romans. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? Because if God is for us, then who could possibly be against us? You see, Satan is a defeated foe. But we have to start to wrap our heads around how Satan is defeated. It was not a grudge wrestling match where God got the upper hand and threw Satan out of the ring. Anybody here ever watch WrestleMania a lot when you were younger? Is that still a thing? All right, well, I mean the old ones. And you get, you know, you get that, that rumble royal, right, where everybody's in the ring and the only way you lose is if they throw you out of the ring, right? We're like, oh, you know, God gave us victory over Satan because he picked him up and he body slammed him out of the ring. No, that's not how it worked, right? This wasn't like an ultimate fighting thing. This was a spiritual thing. How does God defeat Satan? By dying on the cross, by taking death onto himself and then conquering death by raising from the grave to become alive. 
defeating the power that Satan has at his disposal. What's the power that he has? Sin and death. And God defeats it. He breaks it through Jesus and the cross and his resurrection. See, we understand that we are not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting these spiritual enemies, these powers of darkness and principalities of evil in the spiritual realms, and and, and that we are battling from a position of victory. Because if our God is for us, who could possibly be against us? That's why Paul says, stand firm and put on the armor of God. Because if you will put on the armor that God provides, victory is assured. And victory is assured because Christ has, through the resurrection, defeated, ultimately, sin, death, and the power of Satan. And if that God is for you, then no one can possibly be against you. So we put on the armor. It's like going to play football without wearing pads. It's a bad idea, right? Like like getting ready to go play basketball and not putting on tennis shoes. Bad idea. It's like getting ready to preach and not wearing a suit. (laughs) Except that's normal. I, I don't know where that came from. That was the sugar talking from the donut. What shall we say about these things? They're wonderful. Because if our God is for us, then who could possibly ever be against us? So here's what Paul tells us today. He says, stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we're going to go through the armor, right? These are, these are the four verses we're looking at today, and we're going to go through the armor. We're going to talk about what those things are, and we're going to talk practically about how to, how to engage in spiritual battle, right? But here's the thing. Paul starts with just this simple admonishment. And it's a reminder. He's already told us this way back in verse 10. Stand, therefore. That word stand in the Greek has this idea of holding a strategic position. Right? Think like the military in wartime holding a bridge right? It's critical from a strategic standpoint. It must be held. And so all of the focus, all of the energy goes to holding that line, to not letting it go. That's what Paul says here. He's with that veracity, you are to stand. Well, where are you standing? What ground are you holding? Think about this. We already read this in Ephesians. You have been moved from death to life. You have been moved from sinfulness to righteousness. You have been moved from your old way of living that was opposed to God, and you've been raised to this new life that is in line with God. That's where you are. And what Paul is saying is you stand there. Do not give up that ground. You are living in the righteousness of Christ. Don't you dare budge. Stand. So who are you standing against? Well, you're standing against the devil. And I want to pause here because we talked about who he was last week. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's the adversary of God, right? He's the accuser. He's like a lion um, roaming around looking for someone to devour, right? But Paul says, stand. Stand against him. Stand against what he wants to do to you. Here's what we know he wants to do to you. Eight things. Here's how Satan attacks you. Here's how the devil attacks you. One, he wants to impugn God's character and credibility. And here's why. If he can get you to believe that God isn't good and that God can't be trusted, if he can get you to believe that, 
then he can get you to reject him. Listen to me, as the Christian, your number one source of power is this, trusting and following God. Right? That's what it means when he says we're not fighting a physical flesh and blood battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle. How do I do that? I trust and follow God. If you can get to a point where you all of a sudden believe that God isn't good anymore and that God isn't who he says he is and that God doesn't have good for you and that God isn't for you, if that's where you find yourself, then you find yourself in a place where Satan can wreak havoc in your life. The devil wants to impugn God's character and credibility. It's what he does with Eve and Adam in the garden. God didn't really say that, did he? Well, he didn't mean it. He was lying to you. God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like him. Impugning God's character is Satan's number one tactic to get us to reject him and engage in someplace else. Two, he wants to undermine our present victory by generating trouble that makes life difficult. You ever wonder why life is hard? I'm sorry. I made an assumption. Do me a favor. Raise your hand if you understand that life is hard. Awesome. Good. We're on the same page. Do you ever wonder why life is hard? Well, for the Christian, life is hard Because if Satan can get you to focus on your present circumstances rather than the victory that you have, then guess what? You certainly aren't focused on glorifying God and living for his glory. You're focused on the mess around you, right? That's why even faith-filled Christians in the midst of suffering and turmoil and hardship, that oftentimes what happens is they, they, they maybe don't let their faith go, but they put their faith aside, And they just live in this moment of hard and difficult and tragedy. And and one of the main tools that Satan has at his disposal to create this trouble to make life difficult is persecution. And we don't experience persecution the the the, the way the rest of the world experiences persecution, but we experience it. We experience it in this weird, um, almost safe bubble of peer pressure. Have you ever been made to feel stupid because you believe the things of the Bible? Sure you have. If you didn't, you just didn't understand what was happening around you. Because they were trying to make you feel stupid for believing the things of the Bible. Right? When, when, when we have this pressure around us and this belief that exists in our culture that says smart people don't believe these things. Yeah, smart people do. Right? But we say, no, no, they don't. And if you were smart, you would reject this and you would trust natural things. Like, so it's this pressure that's put on us. And if, if Satan can get us to focus on those things, then it causes us to be lukewarm about the things of Scripture. There's another thing in this one. Listen, I'm going to poke at some of you, and I'm not thinking about you personally. I'm just saying this in general. So if it's you, deal with it. It's the Holy Spirit, it's not me. I mean, it's me a little because I was prompted by the Holy Spirit. If you are in your mind a professing Christian who believes in Jesus and you are experiencing no difficulty in your life, here's what that tells me. Now listen, that tells me that Satan has decided to leave you alone. And I got to ask you this question. Why in the world would the enemy of your soul who wants to keep people out of hell and who wants to ruin the ministry of believer, why in the world would that person decide to leave you alone? Probably because you're not doing what you think you're doing. Probably because you're not living the life that you imagine that you're living. See, this is the reverse tactic of Satan, right? Sometimes if you are satisfied with your nominal Christianity, I believe in Jesus and I'm just going to stay in my bubble and do my thing and not impact anybody else. 
Satan is quite content to just leave you alone because then you can sit there and think, my life works. I must be doing it right because God is blessing me. I've got no problems. Listen, that's a bad gospel because that's not what I read in the Bible. If Satan is leaving you alone, you might not be doing what you think you're doing. Satan will attack the church. The devil will attack through doctrinal confusion and falsehood. You know, one of the best tools Satan has is making you believe that you are not smart enough to understand what the Bible says. And making you uninterested in what the Bible says. Satan actually wants you to listen to me. Well, that's probably not true. Maybe. It depends how boring I am. But Satan wants you more to listen to me than he does for you to get in the word yourself. He would much rather that you took it at my word than that you read it for yourself. Why? Well, because maybe you won't listen to me. Maybe you'll listen to somebody else who speaks with power and authority. And maybe they won't tell you exactly what's in the Bible. Maybe they'll start to twist it. Maybe they'll start to say with, with authority something that tickles your ears and something that sounds good, something that you wish were true, right? So when Satan can get us not to acknowledge that the Bible is there for us to read and interact with, but instead we just go get it. We get it online. We get it in podcasts. We get it um, on YouTube. We get it from, from preachers. We get it in all of these other places, but we don't do it for ourselves, then that's a real short walk to doctrinal confusion and falsehood. Wrong ideas about salvation. Wrong ideas about heaven and hell. Wrong ideas about morality. It's the work of the devil. Hindering their service to God. Satan is always, the devil is always trying to hinder our service to God if we're actively working. This is where I said, right, if, God, if Satan isn't messing with you, you might not be working for God the way that you think you are. Paul was working for God. And what happened to him in Ephesus? Many adversaries rose up to try to stop his ministry. Tries to cause division. Right? Because the devil knows that a church divided, Christians that can't work together in unity and love are not going to make a difference for the kingdom. So Satan tries to, to stoke up division in the church. That's why Jesus, one of his, his most important prayers, the one that he lingered on the longest, was praying for the unity of believers. Causing you to trust in your own resources and not his. I'm guilty of this one a lot. Here's why. I'm relatively intelligent. I mean, I'm not smart, but I know some stuff. I know a few things. I know the Bible pretty well. I've read it and studied it. And sometimes... It is far too easy for me to decide that I know enough and that I've got enough. Do you know, and it's been a while, thankfully, it's been a while, but there have been times, oh man, this should, I, I almost don't want to tell you this because you're going to get angry at me and you should. There have been times in the past where I've gone ahead and I've prepared a sermon and I've written it out. And I've gotten all the notes ready and I've stood up here and I've delivered to you a message from God that wasn't from God. Why? Because I was relying on my own resources and not trusting in his. And work for God without the power of God is ridiculously impotent. And Satan can lead us into hypocrisy. The devil wants to ruin us by leading us into hypocrisy. There are two people that the devil loves to fill the church with. Listen carefully. 
See, he doesn't mind when the church is full as long as it's full of these two kinds of people. First one is religious unbelievers. When Satan can fill a church with religious unbelievers, he calls that a win. A religious unbeliever is somebody who knows some things, who has some intellectual knowledge, who has gone through some rituals, who, who might moralistically believe some things, but they have never given their hearts to Jesus. Those people don't scare him. Right? He loves those people. Those are the people that will say to Jesus on that last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we say all these things? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, man. I never knew you. That's one kind of person Satan loves to put in the church. The other kind is this. Believers who are disobedient. People who've really given their lives to Jesus, but they refuse to do the work of growing up. Letting go of their sin. When those people are in a church, the church is hypocritical and ineffective. And finally, he wants to lead us into worldliness. Really, all of those things, all seven of those things are designed to lead us as Christians into worldliness. Where we are trusting the things of the world, we're relying on the things of the world, where we are, in Christ's name, embracing the things of the world. We have churches that will embrace the idea of materialism, right? And they'll do it in the name of Jesus Christ. We have churches and Christians that will embrace the idea of hedonism. And they'll do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Guys, we've got to be careful. This is the enemy that we're fighting against. And we, we learned about him last week, and now we're learning about his strategies this week and what he wants to do. But here's what Paul says. He says, stand against him. Stand, therefore. Fight that. Do not lose the ground that he gave you. You didn't do any of this on your own accord. You didn't do anything to earn yourself salvation. It is a gift of God. He has taken you from death and he has moved you to life. He has taken off your sinfulness and he's clothed you in righteousness and he's put you here and he's telling you, do not budge. Don't give him an inch. And it's fine and good to know what he wants to do to us, but knowledge won't win the battle. The power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will win the battle. So he says, put on the armor. And he starts here. First thing, fasten on the belt of truth. Now, we, we talked about this last week. Remember, Paul is looking at, as he's writing this, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is giving him this, this understanding. He's, he is um, looking at a Roman soldier that he is most likely chained to, right? He's in prison at this point um, in Rome as he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, the church that he loves, that, that, he, that he ministered to, um, that he dealt with adversity at. And, and he's telling them, look, first things first, put on the belt of truth. And the belt that he was looking at was this thick leather belt that served two purposes. One is it hooked in all of the other pieces of armor. All of them eventually hooked to the belt so they would be held secure. The other thing the belt would do, listen, I mean, they didn't wear pants, right? They didn't wear pants. They wore, I mean, they were like skirt dress kinds of things. So what they would do is they would take so that they didn't get tripped up and they would tuck into the belt so they had mobility and freedom to move. Paul says, so first things first, you've got to have the belt of truth, right? Because everything connects to it. Here's the deal. You cannot live a Christian life. You cannot live a Christian life that isn't rooted in truth. If you are trying to live a hypocritical life that says one thing and does another, that behaves one way, but that internally thinks a different way, there's no way you're going to stand against the attacks of the enemy. 
Because you're double-minded. What does James tell us about people that are double-minded? They're tossed about like a wave. The first thing first, if you want to live this Christian life and you want to battle, right? Even if it doesn't always make sense to you, here's what you have to do. You have to be intellectually honest. You have to be spiritually honest. You have to fight sin, right? You can't say one thing and do another. You start with the belt of truth, and then you put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, this, this breastplate that Paul was looking at was, was usually a, a hard piece of leather covered with metal or chain, right? And it was a covered the, all the way from the neck to the waist, front and back, right? Paul says, you got to wear this breastplate, cover yourself. But what are you covering yourself with? With righteousness. And some of us as Christians, we get confused about this. We think, well, I'm good, man. I got Jesus's righteousness. And you do have Jesus's righteousness and it will protect you. But the righteousness that Jesus imputes to you when you put on his righteousness, right? Here's what that protects you from. It protects you from hell. And you need to know that and you need to love it and you need to be thrilled with the fact that the righteousness of Christ, when you are truly born again and you truly know him as the Savior, you have his righteousness that will save you from hell even when you mess up. But here's what it won't do. It will not save you from the attacks of the devil. You know what you need to, 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 to armor yourself against the attacks from the devil? It's called practical righteousness, right? We are not a works-based religion. We are not saved because we do righteous things. But when we are saved, we should practically do righteous things. And that practical righteousness is what Paul's talking about when he says you put on the breastplate of righteousness. So practically, you can stand against the enemy. This is practical obedience. Listen, the life that you live as a Christian, it either fortifies you against Satan or it makes you an easy target. You play with sin, right? As a Christian that's truly born again, when you play with sin, you are safe from hell, right? But you aren't safe from the attacks of the devil. The life you live the obedience for Christians. Obedience matters for Christians, right? Not because the more obedient people get saved more, right? You're saved by grace through faith. But when you aren't obedient, when you aren't practically righteous, when you don't put on the breastplate, you are opening yourself up to the devil and he will have his way with you. as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're going to look at two things here. One is, is the idea um, that, that the gospel, I thought I did that smoothly, did I? No. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, do math. I got time. Okay, so, so here's the, this is really all I was trying to figure out is do I have time? I have time. Here, here's the deal. Um, when we put on this, these shoes, right? So what Paul's looking at is he's looking at sandals. The dude's wearing sandals, right? With hobnails in them, right? And they strap up and, and, and that gives him traction to help him stand firm, right? So that when he shifts and moves and battles that, that he is rooted. And Paul says, you need to be rooted, but, but not with hobnails in your sandals. You are rooted with the gospel of peace. And there's two things we understand there. One is, I understand, right, when I'm battling the enemy, that I have embraced the gospel of peace. Who am I at peace with? I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with God because I have been forgiven. And you need to know in you that you, if you have surrendered to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to know that you are at peace with God. It's not always going to be pretty. You're going to mess up. 
Sometimes God's going to bring discipline. And sometimes when the enemy is really attacking you, it's going to feel like God has abandoned you. He hasn't, but it might feel like that. But what you need to understand with those shoes that are fitted to give you traction, to help you dig in, right, is that you have responded to the gospel of peace and you are at peace with God. And the other thing is this, right? You need to be ready to give that gospel of peace to anybody that needs it. The reason that's so important, listen to me, listen, the more you share the gospel with people, the more you will live it. And the more you're living it, the more you will share it. Because it matters. And he says, look, here's what you do. In all circumstances, you take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Satan is throwing darts. Like in Paul's day, right? Like we've all seen enough movies like Gladiator, Russell Crowe. It's a good flick. Kids, watch the TV version. It's a little violent, right? Because it's called Gladiator. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. Just let your parents decide. Anyway, so, so here's what, what they would do in Paul's day, right? They would take the arrows and they would dip them in tar or some kind of flammable substance, light them on fire and shoot them. The idea was then that when they hit wood, hay, something, then it would cause the spread of a fire. That's the, that's the visual that Paul's saying here. But he's saying, so here's what you do, right? You be ready in all circumstances to pick up your shield to block those flaming darts. Well, what's your shield made of? Theirs was made of, uh, again, wood covered in a hard leather. Yours is made up of faith. What Paul's talking about here is not saving faith. You're like, oh, well, I'm saved. I got faith. I'm saved. I got faith. So my shield is always up. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about saving faith. Again, he's talking about practical faith. Everyday faith. So when those arrows come at you that Satan flings, when the darts come at you that Satan flings, right, the spears that Satan throws, that you are ready by faith to block them so that they don't hit and fan in to flame. When Satan tells you that, you know what, you deserve it, whatever it is, you deserve the extra drink, you deserve that that hit. You deserve to log on. You deserve to see that, to watch that, to do that, to participate in that, right? It's been a long week. It's been a long month. Turns out this decade has kind of sucked so far. You deserve it, right? If that arrow gets in and it hits, then all of a sudden I engage in sin and it's like a wildfire. But if I've got my shield of faith, to hold it up, to extinguish those, to say, no, I choose righteousness. I choose holiness. You know what? God is for me, not against me. When I get nasty and mean in my spirit and Satan tells me, lash out. No, right? Because I've got peace, right? When you are depressed and none of it makes sense and it's never going to be good again, you might as well just quit. No, I've got the joy of Christ. I can hold up my shield of faith and I can extinguish these arrows. Little side note here about the shields, and I don't know if Paul had this in mind or not, but darn it, the Holy Spirit's cool. And he might have snuck this one in under, under Paul's radar. These Roman shields, this shield he was looking at, they had an inter internal locking mechanism where what you could do is link yours with the person next to you. And if you did this, and, and you've seen this in movies too, you would have this wall of all of the shields so that together, right, you could either advance or you could withstand attacks from the enemy. So again, I don't know if Paul was thinking this or not, but, but I'm certain the Holy Spirit had it in mind. This is not something you need to do alone. This works better when we're together. And he says, and take up the helmet of salvation. This is having the mind of Christ. 
Paul tells us in, in, in Corinthians that we are to take every thought captive. It's almost how our shield works, right? The shield and the helmet work hand in hand. I take every thought captive. I raise my shield. How do I raise it? Well, I raise it in faith. In faith that I'm remembering what God has said and what God has done and that God is right and that God is true. I'm not letting Satan impugn God's character. I'm not letting him tempt me with things that have no business in my righteous life. I'm standing firm by holding up the shield. It's defensive. And when those things come, I'm blocking them. And here's what's happening right? As I'm blocking them with my shield, I'm taking them captive. Paul says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I mean, if it helps, just go the whole visual metaphor. Like you've got like this holding room in your brain and that thought comes in and you're like, whoa, you stay there. Then you get the inspectors that come out and they're like, well, that there looks like it's a devil thought. That there doesn't work. And so you throw it away. Get out of here. And you look at this one, you're like, oh, huh. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church. That's a good one. Let that through. Forgive as God has forgiven you. That works. Get even. Nope. mm -mm, Get that one out of here. Right? But this is literally what Paul says to do. Take every thought captive because one of the things that Satan will do, the devil will attack you by giving you these things. But you're blocking them with your shield of faith and with the helmet of salvation, you're taking every thought captive. And then finally he says, use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, I don't want to belabor this point, but you've got to know your Bible. The sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon in the armor. When Paul's looking at it, it's a short sword, um, and it's meant for close-up contact. How do I use the sword of the spirit? Well, you know it, first of all, and, and you apply it to your life. Really, that's the fancy way that you use the sword of the spirit. Know it and do what it says. The Holy Spirit will do everything else. If you know the word and you do what you know the word says, then the Holy Spirit will do everything else. The physical sword takes your hand and your strength to wield it. Sword of the Spirit doesn't take your strength. It takes your obedience. That's all it takes. And that's the armor. You're like, Matt, that's complicated. It might feel complicated, but it's not complicated. You know what this is? You know what the the whole armor of God is, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet that are the peace of the gospel, taking up the shield of faith, wearing the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. You know what that is? That's just Jesus. That's just Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Right? Where do you think the truth comes from in the belt of truth? It's just Jesus. He's our righteousness. How do I have the ability to have practical righteousness? Because he has given me the ability. Jesus is our peace. It's through Jesus that we have peace with God. I can be faithful because he was faithful to what God gave him. He is my salvation. He is, John tells us, he literally is the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. I mean, we need to work out these, these different things about the armor. We need to put on the armor. We need to work that out. But, but practically, here's what it is. Get close to Jesus. Like, I mean, I'm not, all, I mean it, it all matters. You're like, well, why didn't you just say that and we could have left early? Because it all matters. It all matters. But summatively, get close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Don't walk away from Jesus. All right, let me get practical for just a second. One of the things that I get asked when we deal with this um, is, 
can Christians be demon-possessed? We talk about spiritual warfare. We talk about possession. Is possession a real thing? Here's the deal. Possession happens in the Bible. I have no reason to believe that what happened in the New Testament would have stopped happening today. There's no reason for me to believe that. I'd like to believe that, but there's no reason for me to believe that. If it happens in the Bible, I have to at least be open to the fact that it happens today. Because I don't read in there anywhere that God says, from now on, this won't be a thing. But then the question is, fine, can that happen to Christians? And listen to me. I'm going to answer this as as definitively as I can for you. With one word that I want you to hear. No. It was pretty definitive. Normally you get like a maybe. But you're like, wow, that's not what I... The answer is no. Right? The Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, if you are truly committed and following Jesus and you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you have been made new, the Holy Spirit, uh, Corinthians tells us, is given to you as a deposit. The Holy Spirit is in you. Right? You may be grieving the Holy Spirit by the way you walk, but the Holy Spirit is in you. And I promise you this, the Holy Spirit is not sharing space with a demon. What the Holy Spirit owns, a demon cannot possess. So hopefully that will give you some peace. Now for the bad news. What the Holy Spirit owns, though, a life that's not obedient, that's not wearing the armor of God, a demon can torture and harass and oppress. So as a believer, if you really have surrendered to Jesus and you really are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you can't be possessed, but you can be harassed. And here's how that works. Paul gave us a little example of this back in Ephesians 4. Be angry, he says, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. He says, be careful to give no opportunity to the devil. Some versions will say foothold because that word kind of means the same thing, right? If you think about this, it's like scaling a wall, right? Scaling a wall is difficult. What you need are footholds so that you can get a footing and you can start to move your way in and burrow in. And some of us Christians, most of us Christians, by our behavior, By our choices, we are allowing Satan and demons to have footholds in our life so that they can bother us, cause us problems. Here's how it works. Usually, it's one of these four ways. There might be something else, but usually it's one of these four ways. If you want to know more about this, I would say, have a conversation with Pastor Lowell because he, he's been one of my, my, my instructors on this as, as we've been gearing up. So, so if you want more, talk to him. But, but for now, let's just say this. Disobedience. When you are disobedient, wantonly, continuously disobedient, you are giving Satan an opportunity to wiggle his way into your life. Now, I'm, I don't mean when you make a mistake. I mean when you are continually and wantonly disobedient. This doesn't mean that if you snap at your kids and you sin in that way, that all of a sudden, nope, Satan's in there. No, it's not what it means, right? But it means if you live this life of wanton disobedience, then you're giving control of that area over to the enemy, right? There's a reason that it's hard to stop. Two, harshness of spirit. When you're bitter, angry, when you refuse to forgive, when you hold on to hurts, when you're just extra harsh, and you do that continually, that gives Satan a way to just continue to cause grief. Two, This thing called generational curses and sins. And the first two, like that's on me, right? When I act that way, those are on me. This one is hard, right? Because this one happens sometimes generationally and it's patterns that just repeat themselves. Addiction. 
oftentimes the pattern of addiction will just repeat from one generation to the next. Right? And it's decisions I made, but it happens. Patterns of abuse. Sometimes these things will continue. Trauma. Sometimes we'll open the door for the enemy. And trauma doesn't mean I did anything. Doesn't mean I did anything. Maybe it happened to me. Physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual abuse. Those kinds of things can bring trauma into my life. And that creates room for Satan to work. And demons to work. And all of these things, right? All of these things are part of why we have to engage well in spiritual warfare. We put on our own armor. Sometimes we can do this. We can't do this. But with the power of God, we can do this on our own, right? As we seek sanctification, as we try to grow, as we try to say yes to godliness and no to ungodliness, and we try to put on the armor and do these things, God is faithful to help us with this. Sometimes, though, we need a little help. We wear the armor of God for protection, right? So, so first thing first, if you're feeling harassed, then, then here's my first advice to you. Start doing what it says. Wear the armor. Start battling well. Two, confess to God. If you've got sin in your life, if, if, if your trauma has caused you sin, if the generational curse has caused you sin, if you've caused you sin, whatever it is, confess that sin to God and repent. Confess to others. You don't confess to others so they'll forgive you, right? You don't confess to others so God will forgive you. You confess to others because that's where you get help, right? If I'm struggling and I confess my struggle to Pastor David or the elders, then Pastor David and the elders can come alongside me. They can offer me prayer and accountability and help. They don't have to forgive me. God already forgave me, but they can come around me and make sure that I walk differently, and, and then I receive prayer. And sometimes, sometimes when it comes to spiritual warfare, and this is the part that gets really weird. Sometimes I need to have people come around me and pray, and I'm going to use a word, and if you don't understand what it means, we can talk about it more later. Maybe we'll get to it in the podcast, but I'm going to use a word that's misunderstood sometimes. Okay, so just hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. Sometimes I need deliverance. I don't need an exorcism. I need deliverance. Sometimes I need people to come around me and pray for healing and to pray that the enemy will leave me and to rebuke the demons that are bothering me and to pray that God will heal me. Sometimes we need to pray for people that don't even know they need it. We need to stand in the gap. We'll talk more about these things uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about prayer specifically next week. And that's our last week in this series on Ephesians, right? But we'll deal more with this. But, but these are things we have to deal with. As we get ready to close, I just want to give you this. You're like, okay, but what does this look like in real life? Listen, I told you. I had a week. It wasn't great. And I was, I shared with a few people that it wasn't great. We don't need to get into the specifics. I mean, I mean, there was, there, there, there was, was, I didn't feel good. And, and on top of that, there's pressure. Like, like everybody's sick and hurting and need and everybody wants something and that's okay. They're right to want something, but it's a lot of wanting. And then somebody somebody kills themselves and and there's a funeral that has to be done. And they're like, Hey, you can do it. Cause I want it to be just like this other one that happened that that happened a couple years ago, except the the circumstances are completely different. And the the thing is completely different. And then, and, and then when you're dealing with that, guess what? I have another need. There's this other thing that's, that's astronomically hard and, and you can do that, right? Cause you always do a good job and no problem. You can, you can take care of it. And it's the pressure that mounts and you don't care about that. You don't have to care about that, right? 
that's on me. I got to figure that out. There's this stop being a fraud and get yourself together. There are flaming darts coming in every stinking minute of every stinking day to the point where I reach out to a small group on Monday and I'm like, guys, I can't, I just can't do it. And I kind of lied to them. I'm like, I don't feel good. And I didn't feel good, but it, it wasn't that I was home throwing up. It was that I felt worthless because there was no way any of it was going to be all right. But you know what they did? They took what I gave them and man, they prayed for me. They loved me well. Even though I didn't ask for it, they forgave me. Like, no big deal. Yeah, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. Steph Gibbs, right? You know, she responds to the thing, but then she just sends me a note that's just her recording a prayer for me. Carrie's bringing me Chinese food. David's like, what can I do? I'm like, well, I don't really want to do this this week. He's like, fine, I'll do that this week. See, what happens is, right, what happens is we show up for each other. I mean, I'm sitting in my office freaking out on Friday morning because I got to go do a funeral at a church that I don't go to, that I'm not sure about, to a family I've never met before in the midst of one of the worst tragedies that, that I could imagine if I was them. And I got a text from Mike Lutz going, hey, I just want you to know I was praying for you today. And God's got you. And I believe in you. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I mean, that was it. I was like, I, I, I quit, right? And then I got done, and David and I went to see a terrible movie. And I know I'm lingering a little long here, but I need you to know this is real. And that's just my week. And I don't need you to feel bad for me or sorry for me, but I need you to know what happens because here's what I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet it happens to you all the time. And I need you to know what it is that's happening to you. You're not just depressed for no reason sometimes. Right? You're not just despondent. You're not just hurt. You're not just in a bad mood. You didn't just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You're not just feeling extra lusty today for no reason. Satan knows what he's doing. You've got a battle and you've got to use other people in the battle. 